Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 37th Blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that surfs into your hearts one spike at a time. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon, everybody. On our uh, Friday during the Pros Tour, they are somewhere in round two right now while we're recording. We're looking forward to discussing what this week has brought us and what this weekend will bring us. Uh, our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda for everybody this week? Well, this week we have uh, three and a half segments, three segments, three and a quarter. Our first segment is our top movers. We're going to look at the cards that have seen the largest changes in price over the past week. Uh, segment two are the card is cards to watch. This is where James and I are going to share the cards that we think will be seeing large price changes in the near future. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We're going to touch very briefly on a modern mox event uh, from not that long ago. And uh, our major topic of the week, segment four, is going to be the Pro Tour Kaladesh Watch, where, we're, where we'll, we will be discussing the Pro Tour that is occurring right now while we record and uh, where we think things are going to go over the next few days and uh, where they'll land on Monday morning. Um, so why don't you, uh, why don't we jump in? Segment one, top movers here. Do you want to start us off this week, James? Sure. We've got uh, seventh edition foils of Tainted Aether moving from... call it, to $60 on the week for a 50% gain. Um, This is a card that continues to make inroads uh, in EDH and casual circles, and the foils are pretty hard to come by. Seventh foils, of course, are uh, tippity-top as it comes to foils. Uh, Not a huge surprise to see these move on low supply. No, no, and I'm seeing there's one copy left on TCG Player, but the market price is still $17, so it's not like we've really seen... Um, a wholesale movement on these. So nothing too exciting there. Um, Our next card on the list is All Hallows Eve. This is from Legends and it's a reserved list card. Started the week at 80. It's up to about 120. That's uh, a clean 50% gain. Um, Those of you who uh, who are on Twitter will recognize this as having been Sigmund's avatar for the last year and a half or two years. Uh, This is basically the exact same situation there's basically no copies left on tcg player there probably weren't very many prior to this uh your market price hasn't really budged much so somebody just probably picked up the last reasonably priced copy on tcg player ahead of halloween yeah this is in if you don't know what this card does it's a sorcery for two and a black and uh, you put two counters on the card remove a counter during your upkeep and basically two turns later all creatures and all graveyards come back into play so it does have some some weirdo casual and edh applications um and again reserve list never coming uh going to be reprinted so uh, not a huge surprise yeah i mean we could see a functional reprint on this for uh because it's essentially the same thing as suspend card that we saw um 
back in time spiral. So they could basically print a throwback to this. It's four modded, you know, zero, no casting costs like ancestral visions or hypergenesis, and then a suspend for four, two counters. And when it comes back, you reanimate all creatures. So we could see it in effect come back, but the art is also very spooky. It's even got a carved pumpkin. Um, so I'm not too surprised that there'd be a little bit of attention paid to this card in mid-October. Because <laughs> carved pumpkins are canon in magic lore these days. Yes, yeah, he's also holding a gun. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's totally on spot with magic lore. Uh, what's next, James? All right, so next on our list this week, we've got Leovold, Emissary of Trest out of uh, Conspiracy 2, moving from $13 to almost 24 although copies have already started to sink back just south of $20. Um, I think it's going to set up shop in the mid to high teens and then proceed re- relatively slowly up to another plateau in between 20 and 30 sometime in the next year. Yeah, yeah, this card, right from being spoiled, was... Um, a, a real big attention grabber for anyone that played EDH. Uh, so I guess it was just a question of kind of when the price in this was going to move. Uh, I, I feel a little, I feel a little bad. You know, I kind of ignored it when it came out, but mostly that was my own bias because I read this card. And I'm like, man, this is so dumb. I don't even want to put this in my decks because it's just, it's just dumb. It's not fun. But not everyone that plays EDH feels that way, and that's why he's uh, worth twenty bucks now. Yeah, I, I picked up two play sets earlier this week at 14 each, and I think I'll hold for now and look to get out, say, in a year from now. There's no chance of a reprint in the next few years on this card, and it's got nowhere to go but up. Yeah, yep, unless they put them in a, an invention or something like that. It's just, it is kind of funny we went from no monocrypts to suddenly two monocrypts in four months. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, no this is no mana crypt. I, I think most of these cards, like the yes, there are gonna we're in an era of near constant reprints, but there are still so many thousands of cards in Magic um, that the you know dozen to two dozen uh, significant reprints per annum um, are very unlikely to touch things that are less than three years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, next on our list is Panharmonicon. This is from Kaladesh. Uh, we're looking at the non-foil copy. Jumped from 250, and I'm seeing copies right now just about eight dollars, nine dollars or so. Uh, so a pretty good price change there, with 300, no, 250 percent or so. Um, Panharmonicon is the form on artifact that doubles all enter the battlefield abilities. Um, I mean, when this was printed, everybody realized that every EDH planet player on the planet would want one. You know, if you look through EDH tracks, uh, most popular creatures, it's, you know, most of them have enter the battlefield ability. So no surprises it's popular. Uh, but what really pushed the price change on this re- recently was Saffron Olive posted a five color Panharmonicon standard deck which just sort of treaded water until it resolved one of these and then went nuts with, um, you know, like 30 some odd under the battlefield creatures uh, to great effects. And his um, his video for it certainly made it look fun, even though it doesn't necessarily promise strong results. Uh, so, yeah, was a- you know, go ahead. I mean, this was his against the odds deck this week, which is, you know, decks that typically do terribly um, that are, you know, selected by his users as something they want him to try to break. And the fact that he went 5-0 with it and went 5-0 relatively easily and and faced like, I don't think he was facing fantastic players. I don't think he was facing necessarily the meta specific aggro decks that are going to dominate the Pro Tour. Um, but the, you know, he did he did face significant early pressure and it was just incredible when he would get 
uh, a Panharmonicon out, the game would just turn on a dime. I mean, Prophetic Prisms were coming in and drawing them two cards for two mana. Glint Nest Cranes were finding two artifacts out of the next eight cards. Filigree Familiars were stabilizing the board by drawing, gaining, gaining him four life. Reflector Mages were bouncing two creatures at a time, sometimes three. Um, it got completely out of control. Um, the deck looked super fun. And the card has been making me money ever since. I mean, uh, online, it, it's it's wise to pay attention to what Saffron's up to because there's a large following for his deck series um, and videos. And the card online went from about $0.90 cents to $2.50 over the course of about six hours, um, good for 100% profit. Then it bottomed out again back to its original price. And then when people started reading the article after work the next day, um, climbed right back up. And as of this evening, um, the card, I think the last few copies I had left got sold back to one of the bots at like $3.20 or something. So, I mean, that's a triple up. And the paper copies, you know, as we're talking about, have gone from $2.50 up close to $10. There's now some speculation that this is a Pro Tour deck. Um, I mean, we have no evidence of that. So it will be something very much worth keeping an eye on tonight. Um, It's going to be pretty tough for a rare that's not featured at the Pro Tour to hold a $10 price tag. Um, But as we'll see with Travis's pick this week, there are other opportunities with this card. Yeah, yeah, I have to imagine that the oh, this is a pro tour deck just comes from somebody who saw his videos and went, wow, I bet this could do it at the pro tour. And then it kind of ran away from there. Yeah, I mean, possibly. I mean, the the thing is, the deck looks tunable. I mean, at five colors, it seemed like a bit of a stretch. It didn't seem like there was any reason, for instance, to be running red in the deck. So it's possible that this could be brought tuned down to a three color deck. Um, and and still be very, very uh, interesting, at least, as something that people can bring to LGSs and so forth. It's important to remember that the, the metagame at Pro Tours is not necessarily representative of the average metagame at your local LGS, and there are a lot of people that are willing to invest uh, money in a deck that just looks fun, and Panharmonicon is nothing if not fun. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I, I have to admit, for being a five-color deck, I don't think he stumbled on mana like once at least not the colors it never looked like he was having trouble putting the colors together yeah between um, the- you know he was running four evolving wilds four aether hub um four prophetic prism and four servant of the conduit which sometimes was coming in with double energy doses so a two two that taps for any color of mana that has at least four activations starts to be a very reliable color fixer yeah, it looks like the red. I mean, he, for the red was just a combustible gear hulk, one combustible gear hulk main, which isn't a big deal. But he's got a lot of red in the sideboard, which pulled you in that direction as well. But yeah, I, I agree. You could probably trim a color somewhere if you needed to. Um, it, it was also cute that the deck was running two copies of Bring Delight so that it could potentially go find the Panharmonicon if it needed it um, or go find whatever enters the battlefield trigger it needed at the time. Um Alas! Oh, oh wait, 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 wait! The light does not grab. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Sorry. Go to br- grab the creature it needed to pair with Panharmonicon at the time. My mistake. No, it's it's totally fair because I saw the list. I'm like, oh, he's got to bring the light for redundant Panharmonicons, and then I saw him cast it in the video, and it, Panharmonicon didn't light up. I'm like, oh yeah, you can't do that. Card is forever disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> it still does go get the Gear Hulk of choice though, um, with the Panharmonicon in play, and set up things like double noxious Gear Hulk triggers, which was just disgusting every time it happened. Well, you can only get um, you can't get all the Gear Hulks, right? You can only get the white one because bring the light will only get you up to five, right? 
you can only spend five mana on it, and the gear hulks are six. So the only one that costs five is cataclysmic. No, Verterus is also five, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, because I remember talking about that. I think we had the opposite direction of this exchange like two weeks ago. Yeah, but it's a good point because you can't get the Green Warden of Marasa. You can't get the Combustible. You can't get the Noxious. Um, so, yeah, Bring Delight was was useful, but not quite as sexy as I first thought. Yeah, well, I yeah, it seems like a possible cut. Okay, let's move along. Uh, why don't you give us our next card there, James? Metallurgic Summonings has moved from 225 to $10. Saffron's other deck this week it was a combo deck with part the water veil that he ran out a series on card immediately jumped from 225 to $10. This one might be a little more sticky because it is a mythic um, and not a rare. Um, it also has broad applications in EDH. And I even saw a vintage deck running that posted decent results that was running it last week um, that looked pretty interesting. Uh, a decent chance that the, the foils, especially for this card, may actually show s- real significant movement down the road. Yeah, this was a card that is a little funky and people really dismissed during spoiler season, myself included. I didn't really think much of it. Um, it was kind of hard to make sense of, but I guess when you boil it down and you go, okay, well, it's five mana and doesn't do anything, but every spell you cast after that comes with a body staple to it. And it's like, well, that's actually very powerful. So uh, is it going to hang at $10? I, I, I don't know. I think that depends heavily on what we see emerge at the Pro Tour here. But I mean, the market price on TCG has shifted to 10 bucks, So the price is reasonably sticky for the time being. Um, you know, this isn't this is not a flash in the pan yet. All right, like there is some somewhat sticky. It will have to drop. Uh, our last card for the week is another Kaladesh card. Uh, this time we're looking at Electrostatic Pummeler. Uh, we're looking at non-foil and foil copies. Uh, the non-foil started the week at about fifty cents and are currently around five dollars for a pretty humongous gain. Uh, Electrostatic Pummeler is a three mana one one. Yeah, so great stats right off the bat that you can pay triple energy to double his power and toughness. Uh, now, this is showing up on our price list because there's a standard deck that showed up that gets him, generates a bunch of energy, pumps his power and toughness a couple times, and then uses his ability to double it a couple times thereafter and get tremendous. I saw a screenshot of him attacking for 768 damage on uh, on Moto a couple days ago. Um, Pummeler was a, there was, there was, this is a type of card that gained the most money and you would have cleaned house if you had thought to pick these up ahead of time, but there was no real way to reliably do this unless you were sitting there playing with a card uh, because this is like, God, I don't know, the third, fourth, or fifth card that we have seen in standard over the years. It doubles its power and toughness in some way or shape or form. And most of them did almost nothing. So it just so happened that they finally found the right mix for this to be good uh, between both the creature the creature doing it for something other than mana, which meant that you could do it, uh, you could do other things and pump him, and also had good pump spells in the format. So uh, kudos if you managed to figure it out, but I have to imagine most people did not have more than maybe a play set of this. I just love how how the the theory that it's impossible to make money on, on false set standard cards these days with the masterpieces in play is just proving itself out day after day after day. I mean, there are, by my count, there have been at least 10 or 15 opportunities to make uh, very significant amounts of money on rares and mythics and even uncommons in Kaladesh between um, the pre-order period and even over the last couple of weeks when we should have been moving towards peak supply. So um, 
take everything people are saying about in- inventions with a, a grain of salt, folks. There is plenty of money still to be made in the world of MTG finance. Yeah, I mean, really, uh, just this week, we have the top three earners were all Kaladesh cards. And and the fourth one was a conspiracy card from three months ago. Yeah, 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 just... Uh, there's the money's definitely there. You know, these prices are not likely to be sticky. You know, these are not going, you know, electrostatic pummeler is not going to stay $5 for too long uh, unless it turns out to be like the deck and standard. But you, do, you don't need it to be that expensive for that long. You just need to buy it while it's cheap and get out while the price is up. Um, well, I mean, so, yeah. One, one of the things worth noting is it's already that red green deck is already 3% of the online meta and it's growing. Um, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, it, if it top eights the pro tour, the card might hold that price. The rest of that deck is relatively cheap. Uh, it's made up of a bunch of like commons and uncommons. And those are the kind of decks where the key cards that are in high demand that are run as a four of that are either rare or mythic can hold very high price tags because the rest of the deck is still so inexpensive. Right. And I, I mean, you know, maybe Pummeler is a card that holds it, but between Panhar Monicon and Metallurgic Summonings and Electrostatic Pummeler and Torrential Gearhulk and Verderus, like not all of them can get there, right? Like some of them will, some of them won't, but it doesn't matter because you would have been able to sell all of them at some point um, to make your money. Yep. But let's let's move on to segment two, our, our cards to watch here. Uh, James, you got a little bit more than me, so I'm going to let you get us started. Sure. So one of the things I've got my eye on, and I don't have a high confidence level on this one yet, it's just something to be uh, paying attention to over the course of the Pro Tour and, and, and you know, keeping an eye out for it to show up on camera or put up some results, get into day two, etc. Um, if it's a major team's deck and they seem to be doing well with it, um, those are all triggers for buying this card. Otherwise, I think you hold off. And the card in question is Metalwork Colossus, um, the 11 casting cost artifact creature um, that... Uh, didn't look like much when it was first spoiled, but has been showing up in a blue-black deck in the online meta um, that has been picking up some steam. Um, it's currently at 3.7% of the online meta, and basically the way this deck works is it drops a bunch of incidental artifacts into play, like Puzzle Knots and Prophetic Prism. Um, Cultivator's Caravan, it runs the full four. It also runs three Sky Sovereign console flagships, so that's a related card to keep an eye on. And then, you know, it uses Scrap Heap Scrounger and Glinton S. Crane, as well as Foundry Inspector, to kind of hold down the fort in the early game, leading up to an Elder Deep Fiend, Metalwork Colossus kind of late game along with the flagship. Um, and because Metalwork Colossus is a rare that's you know available in the dollar range, this has the chance, the opportunity, as we've seen with some of these other rares that have been spiking, to get up over $5 if it gets enough hype. Um, I'm not convinced that this is the deck that breaks this Pro Tour, but it's a card I'll be watching for later this evening when we go through the first six rounds of the tournament. Um, I agree. This card is powerful. It does have a cost reduction mechanic, so you could potentially have a free 10-10 that you can also return, uh, for nothing. So that is, uh, absolutely worth paying attention to. And if Phyrexian Mana and Delve and, um, these other effects that reduce costs haven't taught you that this can be uh, broken, then you're not paying attention. I will point out here, James, uh, while you're talking, I'm taking a quick peek. Uh, this card is on a dollar. Uh, I don't know if this happened very recently or what, but over on TCG Player, I'm looking at absolute minimum, probably two bucks a copy, and I, there's 
barely a play set at that at that price and then a few other vendors i mean i see i see plenty of copies in the two dollar range um but nothing below that so looks like uh looks like people are gearing up for that card to be to be big this weekend yeah i might the uh, recommendation was something i was working on yesterday afternoon so it's entirely possible Mm -hmm. that other people have picked up on the thread um you're right it's starting to dry up um, so uh, the timeline might be too late, but you know, maybe you're listening to this at your local LGS and they've still got some sitting around in the binder or the bulk bin, or somebody's, uh, got some in their trade binder, uh, maybe keep an eye out. Sure. And I mean, I'm not trying to say that this was a bad idea or that you're, you're wrong. I just mean like, wow, maybe, maybe between the time that you wrote this down and now somebody heard something and has started to kind of push the price on this, you know, maybe there's, it's true already. Yeah, I mean, the, the Magic Online data rarely lies, um, usually points in the right direction. Um, so we'll see how this plays out. Okay. Uh, my first and only pick this week is uh, Panharmonicon. Uh, but I'm looking at the foil copies specifically. Had we recorded this yesterday, I would have sounded a little bit more uh, insightful. Uh, but I'll have to live with it being on Friday instead of Thursday. I'm looking at the foil copies specifically. They were ten dollars yesterday. They are well, oh my god, twelve to thirteen. So when I when I left work an hour ago, there was probably four times as many copies on TCG Player, uh, and you could find them at eleven or twelve dollars. Right now, I see about six copies, seven copies, and they're thirteen bucks to twenty. Um, so foils of this are going to be gone almost immediately. Uh, pro- I mean, probably within a couple hours of this podcast getting posted. Uh, I mean, this card is just insane in EDH. Like, there's I can't imagine e- any EDH deck that doesn't make use of this. How many creatures get played in that format that don't have under the battlefield triggers? Uh, so you know, if you need your foil copies, I would be getting those real fast because uh, I think by the time you wake up tomorrow morning, they're pretty much going to be gone. My guess is that most of this is speculation activity. The question is whether it's speculation activity that's related to a team at the Pro Tour that knows something that we don't. Um, yeah. Uh, Jim Casale, one of our former writers at MTG Price, is at the Pro Tour, which he qualified for and is playing in, and mentioned to me on Twitter that he had actually heard rumors of a Bant Panharmonicon deck. So we have at least one indication that somebody might be playing it there. Whether they're actually going to get anywhere with it uh, remains to be seen. But this is a card that is definitely on the radar for the weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it is, it's tough. It's like, you know, if it doesn't do anything at standard, mate, we might see the price dry up a little bit. But, you know, the people who are buying this because they saw Saffron's video are doing it because they want to go play with it at FNM, not because they thought it was going to crush at the Pro Tour. And they're doing it because they want to play with it in EDH. Um, so I, I have to imagine that even if, this, we don't see this on camera at all this weekend. It will still be uh, relatively sticky. Yeah, I mean, the, the long-term uh, value of this card, if, I, if, you know, if this hadn't been your pick, it was going to be one of mine, and my target on it would be to hold for a year or two, and I think it's a $30 card. Um, it's one of yeah. those foils that uh, drives excitement. It, uh, it, it, has, it generates incredible play patterns that are memorable, and those are the kinds of cards you want to be investing in when you're looking at something long-term, especially since it's highly unlikely, again, to see a reprint anytime soon. Yeah, and this is the type of card that I, I could actually see being reprinted a lot, but all in non-foil. So we could see it show up in Commanders, in Arch Enemies, in, um, in any of these types of products where they print this type of stuff, uh, you know, whatever next year's conspiracy is. So 
I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more copies, but the foils in particular are, are what I like because those are much harder to reprint. Yep, agreed. All right, so my next pick uh, is Gideon Ally of Zendikar. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at the short to mid-range because I think once this rotates out next late next spring, uh, it's not going to be a card you're going to want to be caught holding. But my confidence level on it is 7, and the logic is as follows. It's currently holding pretty steady at around $20, but if you look over the the 6 or 7 decks that are kind of dominating the standard metagame leading into the Pro Tour, the only Planeswalker that's showing up in any significant quantity is Gideon. And Gideon was obviously a fall set mythic so um less exciting than if it would had been say a small set mythic but uh the and the inventory levels are still relatively high but if multiple decks make it into the top eight that are all running three to four copies of gideon either in the main or in the sideboard as the red white vehicles decks tends to do um it may be a signal that gideon is going to enjoy a spike up into the 30 dollar range i could easily see him switching um price tags with chandra who i think is is now proving out to be very overrated unless this this weekend um, shows us something amazing that no one saw coming. Um, Chandra very likely to head down below $20. Gideon, based on play patterns, seems like he could top 30. Okay. I mean, nothing from Battle for Zenikar has done much other than Gideon. You know, Ulamog pops his head in too, but Gideon is far and away the best card we've seen so far. So if anything is in Battle for Zenikar is going to move in price, it will be Gideon because he has just been right there from the from the get go as a as a major part of standard. Yep. So I've got uh, and my last pick is the card we were just talking about, Metallurgic Summonings and um, Foils. There are very very few um, left out there after the recent run, and it's a card that I think people are going to get excited about in multiple formats. Um, and if you can track down. Uh, foils of the summonings anywhere uh, under $20. Um, I think it's a long-term, because it's a mythic, you're probably looking at $40 foils given enough time. That's, wow. All right, $40 foils, metallurgic summonings. Okay. Um, all right, so you wanted to talk about this uh, Modern Mox too, right? That was something we were, we were looking at uh, that fired not that long ago. Yeah, it was over 600 players playing in the Magic Online Championship Series. Um, most of the top eight decks were the the usual suspects that you would expect to be seeing show up. Um, Affinity, Dredge, Junk, uh, Lantern Control, I guess, is a little unusual. Um, a deck that's proven itself very powerful in the past, but doesn't always show up in top eights. Dredge was in sixth place, and then... J- couple of copies of Jund. The car- the deck that really caught my eye was Sultai Midrange. Um, and as Travis and I were looking this over, uh, he made the comment that uh, uh, there's nothing really new in terms of cards being used in this deck. It's really more of a reshuffling of cards that are already known to be good and modern. Um, there's a counter spell suite. The deck's running mana leaks and uh, spell snares. They're running a discard suite with thought scours and thoughtsies. I, I mean, uh, Inquisition of Kozilek and Thoughtseize, um, Card Selection with Serum Visions and Thoughtscour, and then um, Collective Brutalities, Abrupt Decays, and on the creature side of things, a couple of copies of Gurmag Angler, uh, Scavenging Ooze, four copies of Snapcaster Mage and Tarmogoyf, and two copies of Tassiger. Um, Sultai Midrange isn't a, isn't a deck we see as often as we see the Junk and Jund builds, um, but it was interesting to me that this could, if a deck like this starts to gain traction, it creates additional pressure on cards like Tassiger and Tarmogoyf and Snapcaster, which has been on a slide in anticipation of a reprinting next next summer. 
Well, I would love to see some traction on Tassiger. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, Saltai is sort of the combination that the, the green black X combination that we haven't really seen much of in in modern yet. Um, you know, obviously, Jund has been huge and Abzan has been huge. Uh, and Saltai hasn't quite gotten there, which is a little surprising. Um, it might be that, uh, you know, it's, it's missing a stronger removal spell in here somewhere maybe collective brutality is what what the deck was looking for um but this could really pull some of these uh simic or blue black cards um up that we have seen kind of underplayed so far so i will be watching closely to see if, if this shows up more in modern because uh i'm a big fan of of salt high um and Tassiger specifically because i own a bunch <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So moving on to our final segment of the week, we're going to do a little bit of a, a metagame review heading into the Pro Tour. We're just about an hour away from the start of the standard tournament, and it's anybody's guess what's going to happen. Um, but let, let, let's let's set a, a baseline here. We we both know that the, the most important card of the format thus far is Smuggler's Copter. Uh is Smuggler's Copter going to be a 32 for 32 again? What, what's your pick for number of copies of Smuggler's Copter in the top eight? Oh, man, it's funny. It's not even like a is it in the top eight. It's how many manage. Um, I, I I could see this at 50%. I think I think we could hit 16 copies. I don't think that's a stretch. Uh, I would not... I would not be surprised if this was at 32, and I, but I would be surprised if it was less than, say, 20%. Um, there's definitely going to be a heavy copter presence here. Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at the online uh, metagame, we've got white-red vehicles and red-black aggro making up 15% of the meta. They're both running it. Um, the black-red zombies deck is another 3%. It's running Smuggler's Copter as a 4 of... White-green aggro has been picking up some uh, devotees, as well as the white-red humans deck that showed up in the top eight at SEG Indy. They, they're, of course, both running Smuggler's Copters as a four of. Um, some of the only decks that aren't doing that is, um, I mean, 7% of the online meta or so is Black-Green Delirium. Uh, they don't run the Copter at this point. Um, instead of opting for four Sylvan Advocate, Tireless Trackers, Kalidus, Ishkanan, Emrakul, kind of playing that mid-range control game with Liliana the Last Hope, um, and a bunch of card selection and removal spells, um, hoping to grind out the Copter decks after they stabilize the early game. Um, there's the... it's, it's kind of amazing. Hold on. It's kind of amazing to me that Delirium decks don't want Copter because it's an artifact, so it gives you Delirium, and it loots, which also helps you kind of fuel that and gives them a flying attacker. It seems like it would be such a natural fit for those strategies. Well, there there are definitely versions of the deck that run it. There's another version that's kind of lower to the ground that runs four Gnarlwood Dryad, four Grimflayer, um, Virgilus Gearhulks and the full four copters and only two copies of Liliana. So if that version shows up in more presence, then that's, you know, as you said, yet another copter deck. Um, mm. You do have the blue-black Colossus deck that we talked about earlier. Um, they don't run the copter. Um, instead, going higher on the equipment, uh, on the vehicle curve with Cultivator's Caravans and Sky Sovereign console flagships because they want to have non-creature artifacts in play that can get the Colossus on the board. Um, there's also a blue, white, red, uh, deck that five out a league that's running, um, blessed Alliance, harness lightning, negate revolutionary rebuff, stasis snare, Gideon's glimmer of genius, four copies of Nahiri, three copies of fumigate and three torrential gear Hulk. 
going for that full Jeskai control mode. Interesting that not only are they not running the copter, but they don't seem to want Chandra. Um, they're not even running any Chandras in the board, um, which uh, continues to signal to me that Chandra is a tremendously overrated card for this particular standard format. She probably would have been busted in some other version of standard, but just does not seem to be able to find a home. I mean, if Jeskai doesn't want her, who wants her? I, I I can't wrap my head around this. She's so powerful. And I really have to imagine that this is almost exclusively because of Smuggler's Copter. Um, you know, she can't answer that. And I think that's really the biggest problem that she's facing. Uh, but this card is still so powerful. It's still, it's still so good. Other than that, I, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see how this will go. You know, if this gets down to $10, $8, I don't know if I can resist picking them up and I might get burned on that because <laughs> I'm going to be like, how can a card this good be this cheap and not ever get anywhere? But we'll have to see, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe once, uh, maybe once battle for Zenikar rotates out and Gideon's gone, she will, she'll pull really hard. Um, but it's just, I just, I can't wrap my head around a standard where this card doesn't end up getting there. Especially given that some Jund lists in modern have been running a, at least a single copy in the main deck um, already. So, I mean, if you can, if you can go, if you can f- not take, claim a slot in one of the tightest decks in the format that's had rarely changes in configuration, um, except, you know, subtly to adjust, address whatever the current meta is, then, you know, I agree. The power level is there. The question is whether, you know, the presence of vehicles in this format, you know, creatures that can't be killed at sorcery speed is the defining theme of the format and the and the uh, the paradigm by which you must construct your deck. I mean, we also have um, the Teamer Aetherworks decks that we've talked about before that run the full complement of four Ulamog and four Emrakul. Uh, this tournament might be their last uh, big chance to to make a splash. Um, these are the decks that kind of rely on early puzzle knots and some early control cards like Kozlik's Return to work their way into an Aetherworks Marvel. Um, hopefully they picked up enough energy along the way so that they can flip over six cards the turn after and immediately try to put something big and busted into play that takes over the game. Um, both of those cards, um, uh, Ulamog and Emrakul, uh, need a boost to get off their current price plateaus and get up over... Um, you know, gain five or ten dollars a copy, um, which would certainly make some of us some money. Um, but I'm not convinced that that's going to be the way this tournament goes. I think we're going to see um, a lot of low to the ground aggro in three or four different flavors, um, a couple of outsider decks that are featured on camera but might not necessarily have enough team support to make top eight, and uh, a couple of um, control decks that do reasonably well you know if i had to pick i'd say we're going to see five aggro decks in the top eight one weirdo outsider deck and two mid-range or controlish decks um and if i had to pick a potential breakout for this tournament i would be looking at the grixis uh emerge uh style decks that leverage things like insolent neonate and scrap heap scrounger in the early game and eternal scourge um along with smuggler's copter and to get into a late game that relies on things like Wretched Griff, Elder Deep Fiend, and the recursive capabilities of Haunted Dead. Um, the other version of that kind of uh, prized amalgam Haunted Dead uh, list that we've seen in the like blue-black zombies list um, uh, would be the other deck that I'd be keeping an eye on because there have been multiple blue-black and black-red versions of zombies that have been 5-0-ing leagues online. Oh, all right. Um, there's a lot there. Chandra, uh, I'm going to just double back to Chandra really quick. I will be watching closely the um, Aether Revolt spoilers. 
um, because it's possible that what she's missing is a common or an uncommon that efficiently deals with vehicles or artifacts in general that will uh, enable her to be played more heavily. So for instance, right now, it's hard to play her because maybe you can't really effectively answer early smugglers copters uh so you know you you have difficulty putting chandra in the play because you haven't really been able to destroy smugglers copter with a good card yet uh but you know if we see something a a kind of cheap like a a really really good red card that destroys artifacts somehow and also does something good uh, maybe that will be enough to go oh i want to play this card anyways and if i'm in red i want chandra and now that i'm playing this card and answering copter chandra is also good so um you know those uh, commons and uncommons can turn on some of these cards like this sometimes so uh, i'll be keeping an eye on that you know if we're talking about breakout dexo at the pro tour um i'm i i'm kind of finding myself drawn to metalwork colossus actually you know I, the, the more i think about this as recording this is a 10 10 that you can cast for zero mana um, which doesn't seem that crazy to me you know you've got prophetic prism which is an excellent card uh in that type of strategy you've got sovereign console's flagship which i think is a really powerful card that also counts so that's a creature that also reduces the cost um you know and there's definitely stuff stuff uh stuff on the lower end of the scale to, to make that work so metalwork a uh, metalwork colossus stack could definitely i think get there um uh, I also think the emerge lists are very good too. Uh, you know, we saw Saffron play against like a blue black zombie emerge deck. I, I mean, I guess it's an emerge. I mean, is, if it plays Elder Deep Fiend, is it an emerge deck like that? Then I think they had like two dissonant mind bender, but um, he played against a deck like that. And that looked really resilient too. Um, and easily could have taken over anyone that wasn't getting triple and quadruple enter the battlefield effects uh, with every card they played. So those, those zombie decks are very strong as well. And we could see that start to put a real push on uh, Elder Deep Fiend. Yeah, the other flavor is the one that doesn't run any of the uh, emerge cards and instead uh, runs for Crypt Breaker, the full complement of Scrap Heap Scroungers, four prized Amalgam and Haunted Dead for ridiculous graveyard shenanigans where like they t- basically blank kill spells because it's so easy for them to get value out of those exchanges and they run four Voldaren Pariah. Well, I think you I think it was I, I think it was that type of list with Deep Fiend because Scrap Heap Scrounger and Haunted Dead and Prize Amalgam are all excellent to sack to uh Deep Fiend, right? Like yep. because you just get them back. So I, I I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It was that deck with Elder Deep Fiends shoved in and descended Mindbinder too, because the emerge cost is so low since all of your creatures return. Well, this other model is a little the, the flavor of this is a little different because it has the crit breakers that are not present in the emerge version, and it also runs four Voldara and Pariah, um, which is the uh, one the three three flying vampire for five that if you sack three creatures you get to flip it into a six five that fo- forces the opponent to sack three creatures. Um, a card that has breakout potential for sure. And they also run, that version of the deck also runs the full complement of Carthartic Reunion, Fiery Temper, and unlicensed, uh, three copies of Unlicensed Disintegration um, to give a, you know, benefit to being able to discard off of their smugglers' copters. I could have sworn I saw a list with Deep Fiend and Crypt Breaker, but maybe I'm wrong. No, 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 you're right. It's just that there's two, there's a Grixis Emerge list that, that runs exactly the configuration you were talking about. And there's a lower mm-hmm. to the ground list that doesn't run any of the Emerge cards and instead goes for the Voldaren Pariah and uh, Discard Shenanigans. Pariah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing that right now here. The other deck that we touched on earlier that we can't count out tonight is this red-green uh, double-strike deck. The the Pummeler being able to do massive, massive amounts of damage. The way that deck is set up is it, it uses Built to Smash, Blossoming Defense, and Larger Than Life 
Um, that's the sorcery for one in a green that people have been leaving in their draft discards. Target creature gets plus four, plus four, and gains trample of end of turn, as well as uncaged fury out of shadows over Innistrad, which is the instant for two in a red that gives plus one, plus one, and double strike. The whole goal here is that they're going to get a couple of those spells off and and make the with a bunch of energy and make the pummeler just so large that it becomes the fastest way to do twenty damage in the format. Whether or not they can do that consistently and break and break through the defenses of other decks remains to be seen. Yeah, those those red green aggro decks with pummeler just are can do so much so fast. Uh, you know, they definitely are in the position to take over pretty much anyone in the format. Um, you know, the real question is 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 it consistent, right? Like that's that's what it's we're really going to look at is not is it the best way to kill somebody or is it the most capable? Because at this point, it almost seems guaranteed that it is. It's just you know can it do it often enough or through any amount of disruption that it's still worth it yeah exactly so i mean to to sum this all up (laughs) there are a bunch of decks that have a shot um i will be very surprised if we see a deck emerge that is not already part of the magic online meta um so taking a look at those lists is definitely uh an important part of your speculation activity this weekend look especially for cards that are used in many lists simultaneously so that you can spread your risk out um part of the reason i recommended gideon is because he is by far the most played planeswalker and the one showing up in the highest number of lists um and also as a mythic from last season um has better than average chance of spiking um Smuggler's Copter is going to have trouble holding $15 as a rare um, over time as more and more Kaladesh gets opened. But if it uh, shows up in, say, five or six or seven of the top eight decks, um, it should be able to hold that plateau for a while yet and give you a chance to get out if you got copies earlier on. At this point, uh, I wouldn't be betting picking up copies at 15, hoping that they're going to top 20, even though... From the looks of online pricing, um, dealers look to be setting up for it to be a $20 plus card in the near future. Um, If it posts up like that, Travis, do you think there's any risk that Wizards would ban the card, um, say, in a month or two? Man, that is, they really don't want to do that. And they're going to be even less inclined to do that than they might have been two years ago because of this rapid rotation schedule. So they might be thinking, oh, yeah, you know, it's going to be miserable for a month or two months, but it's not even like the next set is going to, you know, not move things at all. It's really going to change things pretty rapidly. I mean, that's going to come up every three months or, you know, six months. So, I mean, it's possible Smuggler's Copter gets banned, but it would it would have to just dominate this Pro Tour and then also dominate Pro Tour Aether Revolt. I don't think we're seeing a ban before Aether Revolt. Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable. I mean, I think that the key that could could trigger a, a, an emergency banning would be not just that it's showing up uh, in the majority of decks, but that the, the deck that plays it best somehow becomes clear. Um, if we saw, say, five of the top eight decks in the top eight be um, the same Smuggler's Copter deck, say, red-white uh, vehicles or something, and from there on out, additional tournaments were dominated in similar fashion, and they were all running the full fourth opters. At that point, the format risk has, runs the risk of becoming binary in the same way that kind of uh, mono-blue versus mono-black devotion became when we were in the Theros-Ravnica era. And at that point, I think there would be a risk of a, an emergency banning. Um, if the format stays uh, relatively diverse with, say, five, six, seven, eight different decks all... Um, 
showing reasonable chance of making top eight on any given day. And the common consideration happens to be that they all run Thopter. Uh, It's awkward, but I think that they let that one slide. Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think you're right. You're right. There is that if every deck in the format plays Copter, but it's a bunch of different decks and it's, obnoxious but it's not quite as bad um you know if it becomes if it turns out that white red is the best copter deck and the best foil to white red copter is to play white red copter you know marth is a marth counter then then that's a a real problem for them uh you know that's kind of what we saw with Callblade. Callblade was the best Callblade strategy the, the best strategy to be Callblade. so that's certainly um going to be the the key there for for predicting wizards decisions um I just want to touch on one thing that we we didn't see too or talk about too much so far is uh, the Aetherworks Marvel decks that are floating around. Um, you know, they're still popping up in these constructed leagues and doing pretty reasonably. They've been tweaked a little bit since we first saw on camera at the Star City a few weekends ago. Um, and, you know, there hasn't been a lot of chatter about it leading into this Pro Tour, at least in the last couple of days, as compared to like Panharmonicon and Electrostatic Pummeler. Um but Aetherworks Marvel is still a $10 card right now, at least. Uh, and, you know, there aren't even, there aren't many there. I mean, there are non-foil copies on TCG, but there's less than a page worth. And there's a good amount of copies, but they're not that many. Uh, so, again, I think a lot, it almost, there are a lot of cards missing from TCG player heading into this Pro Tour. So either everyone out there is just specking wildly or everyone thinks they found it. And they're just buying the cards, but it just feels like there's less cards available in general heading into this pro tour. Like everyone's buying this stuff out, but you know, Aetherworks Marvel looks like they found a bit of a a bit of a strategy here. They've got um, four Aether Theorists, which is a two drop that adds triple energy, and the triple energy there is a key. So you can go triple energy on turn two, and then on turn three you can play this Puzzle Knot, which also gains you three life and three energy. So between the creature and the Puzzle Knot, you're gaining life and putting a blocker on the field and hitting that critical six energy when you just slam Marvel, you know, slam Marvel on turn four and pop it. Um, you know, I can't guarantee you that this is going to be the breakout deck of the four of the Pro Tour, of course, but I do think at this point it's crazy to say, but it almost sounds like it's sneaking under the radar because everyone's looking at everything else. Um, and that could definitely show up uh, in force. Yeah, the, the question about the Marvel decks is whether they can be consistent enough, given that they only look at six cards off those triggers. Sometimes they fizzle on that, don't find what they're looking for, and they're, they're just left holding a, a bunch of nonsense that doesn't get anything done. Um, when they hit an Ulamog or an Emrakul, it's a it's big, big game. Um, but when they miss, it, it, it just might end up that in testing, that was too inconsistent versus the bevy of you know four or five uh, feasible aggro decks. And in the face of things like red-green, electrostatic pummeler, nobody wanted to be on the receiving end of something that could whiff. Yeah. I, I You know, the trick here might be finding the middle ground, right? So clearly if you hit an Emrakul and Ulermog, it's ludicrous. Um, but it, can they find something somewhere in the middle uh, that the deck could still reasonably cast, but is also happening to grab off Aetherworks Marvel? For instance, Cataclysmic Gear Hulk uh, is something that it could cast. You know, if you move into blue or uh, move into white, you know, that that's a fine card that you can kind of, in while working your way towards Mar- Marvel, you resolve that. You kind of wipe most of their board. You can keep your Marvel if you have it in play and didn't hit six energy yet. Um, and you get to keep your energy regardless. And you could also play off the Marvel if you miss on Ulamog or Emrakul. So it kind of plays that bridge card. And those those bridge cards are always very important for 
combo decks because they give them it essentially it allows their combo to still function even when it doesn't work at, at, at its best and also gives them something to do when they're just not firing their combo for whatever reason uh and you know the pro tour the, the the general public at large is generally pretty bad at figuring out what the right combo deck is they just sort of take the first list that you know one or two lists float around people grab it and, and run with that um, but there aren't as many very intelligent people sitting and grinding these combo decks for weeks excuse me weeks on end to try and figure out what the actual build is uh and that's how you get the true build of of in fact or of ad nauseum or these types of lists Overall, Kaladesh has already demonstrated that it has enough subtlety and complexity um, in its artifact rares that there have been numerous interactions that have been missed on the first and second and even third pass by most people. Um, I think this is going to be a set that, especially once it gains open-ended synergy partners, um, additional cards that uh, make cards in this set more consistent or open up new avenues of attack or, or approaches for new decks, um, we're going to find that this is a, a fairly rich set down, down the road in terms of mining it for finance. Per, per your first part of that comment, uh, I again want to point out that nobody knows what dubious challenge does. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. I mean, I've been testing with dubious challenge uh, all week in modern. Um, I'm definitely going to be taking that deck um, over to uh, my LGS next Wednesday to put it to work. Um, and I'm not going to make any silly claims about having broken the format, but the deck is as mm -hmm. viable as most of the, um, reanimation or through the breach type strategies in terms of its ability to put something nasty on the table sometimes and occasionally just do absolutely nothing and lose on turn five. Yeah, those sounds like a great description of every modern deck I have ever played. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else you want to uh, share with our listeners before we before we wrap it up and let people get back to the pro tour? Uh, well, I should point out that we're going to be running uh, round-by-round round coverage all night tonight. Uh, I'll be staying up late delivering that via mtgprice.com, and that will be available to everybody, not just our pro trader subscribers. Um, so that's definitely something you guys should be following uh, along with tonight and throughout the weekend as we further investigate the MTG Finance implications of the Pro Tour. Um, and otherwise, I guess that's a wrap for this week. Okay, uh, great. Where can uh, people find you, James? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Uh, okay, and I'm Travis Allen on Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, on Twitter. Uh, and I write every Wednesday at MTGPrice.com on the, on the Pro Trader side. And I also appear in the mostly weekly webcast, uh, Cartel Aristocrats. And I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, I enjoyed our chat here right ahead of the Pro Tour. I'll be tuning in for the rest of the evening to see how Standard shakes out. I'm sure a lot of you will be watching along with us. Uh, so I'll see you next week, James. Take care, Travis, and have a good time watching the Pro Tour, everybody. Mm -hmm.